Hi there, and welcome to Power Play. I'm Vashi Kapelos. Tonight, Defense Minister Anita Anand makes a surprise visit to Ukraine. Anand's visit comes as the country reels from a deadly helicopter crash. At least 14 people are dead, including Ukraine's internal affairs minister. The country's ambassador to Canada is here to react. Then McKinsey contracts under the microscope. We are having in place a shadow government. MPs probe the government's use of high-priced consultants, and they'll be here to debate it coming up. Plus, Polyev pulls ahead. Brand new polling shows the Tories are up seven points on the Liberals. Our front bench panel will be here to unpack those numbers. First, though. We'll start in Ukraine, where Defense Minister Anita Anand made a surprise visit to Kyiv and met with her Ukrainian counterpart, Oleksiy Reznikov. The minister announced Canada would be sending 200 armored vehicles to help Ukraine defend itself against Russia. The minister's announcement, though, comes as Ukraine is reeling from tragedy. A helicopter crashed this morning in a suburb of Kyiv, killing at least 14 people. The helicopter was carrying several high-profile Ukrainian officials, including the country's internal affairs minister, Denis Monastrysky. Earlier, I spoke to Ukraine's ambassador to Canada, Yulia Kovalev. Hi, ambassador. Good to see you again. Thank you very much for making the time. Thank you, Ashia. Uh, I, look, I want to ask you, of course, about the announcement in the visit today. But first, it's my understanding that, that with that helicopter crash, you're friends with, you were friends with, very good friends with the Interior Minister. What can you tell me about him? And, and I'm very sorry for your loss. First of all, it's a huge loss for us, for Ukraine, as today in the morning on the helicopter crash, Ukrainian Minister of Interior Defense, his deputy, who was former uh, working in, uh, in our foreign service, um, the state secretary, all the crew, and unfortunately also one child died because of the uh, helicopter crash. The helicopter just crashed on the kindergarten near Kiev, and it's a huge loss for us because the minister and his team were the f uh, leading the first responders and throughout the war they were the first after the military people who were coming into the liberated uh, areas they were working and leading the work on all of the demining and just on, on friday i was talking to him and we exchanged a lot uh, with him about the future plans on and the support he was very grateful for the support that Canada was providing us, especially for years, on the reform of the petrol police, uh, on the demining efforts. Um, he was telling me the story how Canadian um, bomb uh, suits that helps the people who, is, uh, who are doing the demining effort just saved the life of two of his uh, team workers on the field. And of course, it's a huge tragedy and uh, loss for us. And this is this week is really hard. As uh, as Russian missile strike Dnipro, mm -hmm. now we have like a 45 people died, including five children, the whole families, and some of the children now left the orphans without the parents. So it's a really hard week for us. It's a hard reminder of the human cost of what's been going on now for nearly a year. Yeah. Um, I know there's an investigation going on. Do you have any sense of what happened with that crash? Is Ukraine able to rule out that it was an attack? So we just Ukrainian government made the decision a few hours after the crash to start the investigation 
and as soon as we will have the result of this, the investigation, we will report on them. And meanwhile, there are a lot of people who are, have been injured. They are in hospitals, and we all providing them all necessary support. There are the children. So the helicopter crashed just over the kindergarten. The, the kids were just playing there. And of course, we are praying for all of them to to become much better in the coming days. So we don't know. Ukraine does not no. know at this point. Okay. At this point, we, we just want to have the result of this investigation. Okay. If I could turn to the announcement today, uh, our defense minister met with her counterpart in Ukraine, and she was in Kyiv to do so, and then announced uh, 200 Canadian-made Senator Armored Personal Carriers part of kind of $500 million that was announced a while ago, actually. Uh, the other part was uh, the last thing I spoke to you about, um, the, the missile defense system. Do you have any sense uh, of the timing of when all of that will arrive? And I ask because I heard your president today address the World Economic Forum and stress that the delivery, the quick delivery of all of this weaponry is the most important thing right now. Um, yes, and, you know, all of this very sad uh, occasion that happened this week, it just reminds us how valuable the life of people is and how this support can help us to stop the war by liberating the territories. And as President uh, Zelensky said today, uh, addressing the World Economic Forum, it took uh, Putin a minute to start the invasion and it took days to start supporting Ukraine, and now the timing is very essential. And of course, like these armored carriers is um, is the uh, the machine, the vehicles that are provided, uh, they are produced here in Canada. I was visiting the facility. They expanded it. They created new jobs uh, for the people uh, to be able to produce them. They are producing them rather quickly, so we do hope it. We are counting on months, but 200 vehicles, but like few months to be delivered. Um, and that is important because it will help us to protect the life of the soldiers on the front line. This is the carrier that can safely um, bring the people to the battlefield and take those wounded back. And that helps just to save the life of the people. And, and my understanding is, look, Ukraine made a lot of gains in the last half of 2022, but the past month, month and a half has been very difficult and things have almost been, you know, it, Russia has been very aggressive. And I know that Ukraine wants to begin taking back a lot of territory and, and the emphasis is also on tanks. And in particular, there's a meeting happening in Germany at the end of this week to decide, because Germany has this veto over this leopard tank that Ukraine really needs. Um, many European countries uh, can send it, even Canada, but, but Germany can veto it. Do you think Germany will change their position? We have been talks for already for the months with Germany asking them of providing us the, the Leopard tanks. Some time ago there was uh, the uh, statement from the Germany and the signals that they are ready to provide us these tanks if some other partners from uh, among the NATO members will be ready to provide the tanks. Now we have it. So uh, last week um, uh, Prime Minister of UK and the Minister of Defense announced that they are providing Ukraine with the NATO standard UK produced tanks. So the door is open and now uh, we are looking forward for Germany to make a right decision. And the right decision is to stop potential Russian escalation. 
and this is helping us to be able to succeed to kick off Russians from our territory and that is the way to stop this war. Are you disappointed that it's taking this long even for Germany to give it the go-ahead? Of course if this all you look if we uh, see now how the evaluation of the approach towards military support to Ukraine is going it's many things that were out of total veto a few months ago now they have been provided to Ukraine, including the big air defense system yeah. like Patriots, including the tanks. And, you know, um, it just, we, lose, we are losing the time. We are losing the, the most precious what we have is Ukrainian people, this young Ukrainian new generation who is now standing on the front line. But also, if we look on the global impact of this war, all of us who are like uh, looking on the economic outlook, and the turbulence that we have on a global economy. Each of these reports putting Russian war against Ukraine as the main cause of, uh, of the economic decline, of the inflation, of the food insecurity, of the energy prices in Europe. So it's for the sake of all of us to stop this war and also refocus on the economic stability, on the dealing with the climate change. But what Russia is doing is not only uh, trying to uh, hits Ukraine and trying to, to kill us as a country and a nation, but also spreading uh, all these turbulences on uh, around the global world. Okay, Ambassador, I'll leave it there. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Ukraine's ambassador to Canada there, Yulia Kovalev. Speaking of those tanks, the Leopard 2 ones Ukraine wants, Canada has 112 of them in different configurations and used by the Canadian Armed Forces. Defence Minister Anita Anand was asked whether Canada is prepared to send them or some of them to Ukraine. She didn't directly answer, but here's what she did say. In terms of additional aid, such as the tanks, um, rest assured, I will continue to be in touch with Minister Resnikov frequently, including at Friday's meeting of the Defence Contact Group. And Canada will do its best to respond to specific asks that are put on the table, as we always do. Moving now to a growing political controversy in Ontario. The Ford government is facing accusations of corruption. The province's integrity commissioner and auditor general are opening official investigations into whether the provincial housing minister tipped off developers before large amounts of protected green space were open to new development. Here's incoming Ontario NDP leader Marit Stiles. These are uh, rich developers. These are donors to the Conservative Party. Um, and so we want to make sure that um, they weren't given any kind of special heads up or uh, um, that they, they weren't given any special treatment here. Obviously, um, the result of the government's change, uh, change of heart their sudden decision change uh, is going to benefit and make a lot of money for a very few, number, few people. Let's get the latest on this from CTV's Siobhan Moore. She's at Queen's Park in Toronto. Hi, Siobhan. Can you outline for us exactly what the government is being accused of here? It's a little complicated and you're, you're finding the opposition parties are definitely couching their language. But the, the, the language they use is that something stinks here and they wonder if developers got some sort of tip off that land was going to be opened up for development, land that had been protected, because the timeline for a lot of people just doesn't make sense. We know that these lands were barred from development 
a bunch of the land was purchased. And then two months later, in one case, uh, the land is suddenly open. And that just doesn't make a lot of sense to people. So uh, the integrity commissioner is looking specifically into that question about whether there was any a tip off from uh, the minister's office, the housing minister or any other member of government. So that's that's really key here. The auditor general is also looking into this. That's a little bit more nuanced. We're looking at more about whether Ontarians are getting good value for their money as taxpayers and selling off parts of the Greenland uh, Greenbelt, excuse me, for development and what the environmental effects might be as well. And so what is the Ford government saying in response at this point? They are feeling uh, gratified that the integrity commissioner shut down one request for an investigation that would have looped in the premier as well. Uh, The integrity commissioner said that he didn't find any evidence that uh, the minister or the premier had benefited personally from this change or any evidence to suggest that from this change to the Greenbelt. Now, that said, the the, uh, minister's office says that the office uh, is also looking forward to having Minister Clark cleared entirely. They're also talking about uh, when it comes to the auditor general's report, that they are going to cooperate fully, share more details about the plan to build 50,000 homes on what had been protected land, but they've maintained all along that nothing improper happened here. And, And just about the politics of it all, what kind of a liability could this be, though, for the premier? I think this is something that has been growing. The anger has been growing uh, about this over the last number of months. And what's key here is the possibility of a third investigation that could really hurt the government. And that's an OPP investigation. Right now, the OPP is talking to people, doing a review is what they're calling it, to see if a full-blown investigation would be launched. That would be by their anti-rackets branch. So if there's the whiff of of criminal wrongdoing, that's quite different than uh, an ethics breach or uh, finding that we aren't getting our best value for money in Ontario, a criminal charge would be quite a different thing. Okay, thanks, Siobhan. Appreciate your insights. CTV's Siobhan Morris at Queen's Park. Coming up on Power Play tonight, from a growing political controversy in Ontario to a national one, MPs will be here next to debate the federal government's increasing dependence on private consultants. We're back in just a moment. We learned this week that one of the firms in Justin Trudeau's inner circle, McKinsey and Company, has been handed $101 million by the Trudeau government. $101 million that could have put over a thousand more nurses on the front lines for a year. 23 contracts awarded to consulting firm McKinsey and Company since the Liberals formed government in 2015 are going to be the subject of much political scrutiny when the House returns later this month. Those contracts come with a $101.4 million price tag. That hefty receipt prompted opposition parties to question McKinsey's relationship to the federal government and the impact the company has had over federal policy. A committee is going to hear from seven ministers, McKinsey rather executives, and Dominic Barton, Canada's former ambassador to China. He was the global managing director of McKinsey and Company for nearly a decade. So what kinds of answers are MPs on that committee looking for? Joining me this evening, Parliamentary Secretary for Procurement, Anthony Housefather, Treasury Board critic Stephanie Kuzik from the Conservatives, and NDP ethics critic Matthew Green. They were all at the committee uh, today, which decided to look into this and, and launch a study. Thank you very much, everyone, for making the time for our program this evening. Mr. Housefather, I'm going to start with you. Does the sheer value of those contracts, more than $100 million, compared to the same company's contracts under the previous government, 
at $2 million give you pause? As a parliamentarian, does that give you pause? Well, I think the committee today decided to use its very important oversight role to look into the question of contracts and the larger question of whether or not we're outsourcing too much. Uh, we are already doing a study on outsourcing, but we need to look at the fact that there are certainly going to be times where we need to outsource some things, where you need to look at international best practices and benchmarks. But should there be more that should be done by our professional civil service as opposed to outsourcing? So. Um, you know, there are going to be consultants that improved their business under this government and consultants that did more business under the previous government that saw their business decline. The real question for me is, should we be changing government policy to reduce the number of contracts that are outsourced? Um, and also, given the allegations against McKinsey internationally, should we be changing our policies related to uh, whether or not a company should be removed from a standing offer when there's international allegations that come to light about them? And those are the policy issues that I'm hoping to work with my friends, Matt and Stephanie, on. I, 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 I certainly can appreciate that those are the policy issues. Your, your party, though, in 2015 put forward a policy, actually, of reviewing spending with, with the aim of, quote unquote, reducing the use of external consultants. And in fact, the exact opposite has happened. Isn't that a problem? I mean, again, I think that you have to put it into context as to what the needs are, but I agree. The reason that myself and the other Liberal members on the committee agree to this type of study is because we do think it's important to make sure Canadians get the best value. And if we are overusing consultants, we should know about that and the committee should make recommendations that the government should take stock of. And so we're always going to look at how to get the best value for the money. And if part of that is reducing the number of consultants we have and the amounts we pay them, that's an important uh, policy question we need to consider. Ms. Cousy, McKinsey says uh, as part of their statement that government contracts were won through competitive procurement processes and that their work is entirely nonpartisan, focusing on core public service management topics. Do you concede that that's actually possible and that nothing could be wrong here? Well, first of all, I disagree with that statement. It's actually proven that out of 23 contracts, only three of those contracts were not awarded through a sole, so, excuse me, sole source uh, process. So that is not accurate that those were won in competitive bids. And I certainly think that uh, the organization is providing completely uh, self-directed partisan um, information and directives to this government. And we believe that this starts at the top with the prime minister and with the former head of the global organization, Dominic Barton. So we believe that these were not awarded through competitive processes and they were not rewarded in this way as a result of the close relationship between the prime minister and Dominic Barton. But Ms. Cousy, with respect, how do you know that? What's the point of undertaking a study if you've already reached those conclusions? And, and just on the point around sole source contracts from the company, or sorry, from the Ministry of Public Services and Procurement, three contracts were awarded through open competition, total value of those 55 million, as you indicated. 18 contracts were undertaken as what they're calling call-ups against a national master standing offer. And then there were two, I believe, that, that were sole source and the value of those were, were very minimal. So again, how have you jumped to the conclusion that this is kind of the prime minister, you know, lining the pockets of his friends when you haven't even started the study yet? Well, 18 plus 2 equals 20. So that's 20 out of 23, which were um, awarded within a single bitter environment. Um, but we come to this conclusion based upon the 50-fold increase. The, McKinsey's implication is not with a single department. We are seeing through the media that their uh, 
placement is throughout government. It touches many different departments, uh, the ministries of defense, the ministry of health, the ministry of immigration. And as Mr. Housefather pointed out himself, why would the prime minister want to get into bed with a organization, an organization that has such uh, a, a negative ethical record, even criminal in so many different nations around the world, from the U.S. with their implication, with the opioid crisis, to France with the president and the uh, electoral implications there, Saudi Arabia. I gave eight different examples, Vashi, in government operations um, committee today. But the reason that this is very important for Canadians is because it asks the question, who is running government? Who is making the decision, the policy decisions that affect Canada and affect Canadians, Vashi? Uh, just to pick up on that point, in a release, Mr. Green, your party said, and, and they quoted you, what kind of value did Canadians get for this obscene $100 million transfer of taxpayer money to Trudeau's pet firm? Uh, two things there. I mean, first of all, again, same question to you. We don't, I mean, you're, you're alleging that it's his pet firm. I understand the way it looks. I, I certainly understand the perception, but the study has not been conducted yet. So, so you haven't proven that the prime minister decided to hand this money over because it, it was a company run by, by oh. Dominic Byrne. And second, the $100 million transfer. I know it's a big sum of money sure. for sure. I'm not negating that. But, uh, you know, there are tens of thousands of contracts. And in fact, other firms mm -hmm. like Deloitte, for example, have a, a higher, a bigger portion of those contracts. So, are, are you on factual ground there? Well, we're dealing with the facts. The facts at hand is that Dominic Barton had a very close relationship with the Liberal government. And, you know, he worked as an economic advisor to the Minister of Finance. He became an ambassador under this particular government. And he was the global director of McKinsey at a time when they were under investigation for corruption, tax fraud, political election interference. They had a really unsavory relationship with Purdue Pharma as it relates to oxy uh, cotton. And so they're implicated in a lot of different ways. And so Mr. Housewather raises the point about the ethical procurement policies within the government of Canada. But I would also like to raise the point about the, the conflict of interest or the perceived conflict of interest. Canadians deserve to know, they're looking at this very closely, to ensure that we don't have a revolving door of party insiders getting juicy contracts on the back end. And one of the things that hasn't been discussed is that even once they've received the contract, there are contract extensions that happen. And if you look at McKenzie, what we're finding is that they're underbidding, they're getting contracts, and then they are, well, not just incrementally, but sometimes up to 100 60% increasing the value of their contracts year over year. So when you look at it, these contracts have ballooned over the last uh, five or six years under this Liberal government. And these are the facts that are on the table. Now, I totally agree that they are not the only ones. And we have incredible professionals within the public sector, uh, members of PIPs, who are able to provide sound advice to government and to ministers to be able to make the decisions that are necessary for Canadians. But the question does remain, when Canadians vote for a Liberal government, who are they voting for? And in this case, I, I hope to, in the next couple of uh, weeks, you know, come to find out exactly who we're making the decisions for this government. I just have 20 seconds left. And, and Mr. Housefather, I just want to, you know, round out what your colleagues have said here and put to you. Does it kind of smell bad to you, like the perception, right, that 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 McKinsey got these contracts, that, that you know, this 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 look that it has for the government, that they were able to win favor because of personal relationships? Does does it smell a bit bad to you? 
Well, let's let's just say in a Canadian system, the prime minister doesn't award contracts. The professional civil service does. And I'm very confident about the, the robust process of how we award contracts. At the same point in time, as Matthew says, we have to look at all of the ethical issues involved with respect to how things look. Canadians deserve to have things look both transparent and appropriate. Um, and the goal of our, our, our committee should be together to look at what policies need to be changed to improve the process. Okay, we'll be following that committee work very closely. I want to thank all three of you for making the time for this discussion tonight. Anthony Housefather, Stephanie Cousy, and Matthew Green. And we will be digging into the, that debate with the front bench a little later on the program. Up today, Carlene Varian, so Gary Marr, Melanie Richet, and Robert Fife. First, though, the political stories of the day. The list is up after a quick break. Welcome back. This is The List, a roundup of what's happening in politics today. Applications are now open for Alberta's affordability payments. The $600 benefits will be broken down into $100 payments over the course of the next six months. Families with household incomes under $180,000 can claim the benefit for each child under the age of 18. Applications are also open to seniors who have incomes under $180,000 but are not already getting what's known as the Alberta Seniors Benefit. And one more thing, anyone already getting benefits through what's known as AISH uh, or the Alberta Seniors Benefit or other services through persons with developmental disabilities, rather, they'll get the benefit automatically. So keep that in mind. Over to Nova Scotia, where the province announced plans today to bolster emergency care following uh, the deaths of two women in recent weeks after spending hours waiting for care in emergency rooms. Here's Nova Scotia's Premier Tim Houston. There will be deaths in, in emergency rooms, but what we want to focus on is making sure we do everything we can so that there are no unexpected outcomes. We put all those resources there. Here's some of what the plan includes. Boosting emergency room supports by adding physician assistants, nurse practitioners, and patient advocates, and increasing virtual care options. The province is also looking to boost paramedic services with more training locations, tuition rebates for students who work in the province for at least three years, and an additional air ambulance for routine transfers. A new study shows Canadians who choose assisted deaths are leading the world in choosing to donate their organs as well. Canada, Belgium, the Netherlands and Spain offer medically assisted death. The study found that among those four countries, 286 people donated organs to a total of 837 patients. Up to the end of 2021, 136 of them, that's almost half, of those transplants, they were performed here in Canada. The Canadian Institute for Health Information's data shows those transplants accounted for 6% of all transplants from deceased donors in 2021. And same-sex couples will not be allowed to get married in the Church of England's churches. BBC News first reported Church of England bishops refused to support a change to teaching that would allow priests to marry same-sex couples, rather, in the church. That comes after a five-year consultation and debate over the church's stance on same-sex marriage. The church said priests can offer prayers of dedication to same-sex couples after a civil marriage. Finally, the World Economic Forum hitting back against Elon Musk. In December, the billionaire tweeted, My reason for declining the Davos invitation was not because I thought they were engaged in diabolical scheming, but because it sounded boring AF, LOL. The Davos Forum is underway this week, and a spokesperson now says that Musk wasn't invited this year and has in fact not been invited since 2015. 
Coming up on Power Play tonight, our front bench is here after a very short break. We're talking McKinsey contracts and brand new polling that shows the Tories gaining, gaining rather some ground nationally. Gary Marr will be here. Carlene Varian, Melanie Richet, and Bob Fife. There they are. Back in just a moment tonight on Power Play. This government is, they are not calling the shots. They are having the shots called by a third party source, by an external source. And who knows where that third party source is getting their their ideas from. I am not uh, of the mind that there's anything inherently wrong in terms of how the government engaged McKinsey or what uh, occurred in respect to any of these contracts, but I'm happy to engage in the discussion and look through them all so that we can all with our own clear heads and based on the information we receive, find out. My hope though, is that the outcomes from this change the practices, policies and procedures in a way that is so clear for the Canadian public. The federal government's relationship to consulting firm McKinsey will be in the hot seat when the House of Commons returns. A committee this afternoon decided to move forward with a probe that's seeking to hear from seven ministers and McKinsey executives. That company has been awarded 23 contracts since 2015, and they total more than $101 million. So is the government's relationship with McKinsey a problem for them. Let's bring in the front bench panel to help us break it down. Joining me this evening, former chief of staff to Jim Carr, Carlene Varian. Carlene's an associate vice president with Summa Strategies. Former Alberta MLA and cabinet minister Gary Marr is here. He's the president and CEO of the Canada West Foundation. Former communications director to Jugmeet Singh, Melanie Richet is with us this evening. She now works at Earnscliff Strategies and the Global Mail's Ottawa bureau chief, Bob Fife is sitting right next to me. Hi, everybody. Really good to see you. Bob, I'm going to start with you on this one. We were just talking about how your comments on question period this weekend kind of blew up. Based on what you heard today, the committee will actually undertake a study. Uh, Do you continue to believe this is a big political liability for the federal government? Well, I do. Uh, First of all, they're also going to call Dominic Barton, who was the former managing, uh, the top dog of McKenzie, who... uh, 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 Trudeau appointed uh, as our ambassador to China, and then he used. The, then he became uh, uh, the chair of Rio Tinto, which um, does half his business in China. And then he got two hundred seventy-three million dollars from the federal government for Rio Tinto's pro- uh, plant in Quebec. Uh, and then they got a hundred million dollars uh, in contracts. So uh, I think the well, opposition before. parties before, but the opposition yeah. parties have a lot to ask about this. Not only on the, on the relationship with Dominic Barton, but the whole morality of Mackenzie and company. I mean, this company has been involved in the uh, 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 supercharging opioids in the United States that has resulted yeah. in the death of a lot of Americans. They've been charged in South Africa. They've got a long list of very ethical issues that need that. Canadians will have to ask themselves, why are we dealing with a company like that? Well, it's interesting, Carlene, because the Liberal MP who spoke on our program tonight was part of that committee was saying those are valid questions, actually. Like, I have them, too. I share them. Uh, does that bode well for the government? I mean, their own MPs are saying there, there could be something here. I think it's always uh, a prudent idea to double check into everything, have a have a committee made up of parliamentarians of all parties to look into any kind of substantive government spending. But I think we should just take a step back here for a second. I mean, professional services firms are engaged by public services of 
all kinds of governments, including Canada's federal government. I think there's like a right way and a wrong way to use consultants. The right way would be to bring in expertise when it doesn't exist inside the federal public service. The wrong way would probably be to be using these guys on a constant basis to effectively be sort of a shadow um, management team of the government. If you look at this contract, like $100 million over seven years, that's about 15 million bucks a year. There is no world in which that kind of money is anything more than specific projects for specific initiatives. And you know, that's it, what the company claims. And that's what the Ministry of Procurement claims at this point, too. Right? Yeah, that's and what they're would, saying. We just uh, there are questions if that's the case. It that's wouldn't the, surprise me, though, because you look at, you know, the Trudeau Liberals came to office in 2015. Um, first of all, after a decade of a, you know, a right wing government that believed in small government. The public service was effectively hollowed out. And this government, this new government was elected with this really ambitious platform. They had to create all these transformational new policies. The expertise wasn't there in the public service frequently to do it, and they had to contract it out. That's what I see happening here. But as uh, Bob said before, Nothing wrong with having a parliamentary committee look into it. Yeah, make a, cu- sure a couple right. of things to add to that, and, and that could very much be the case. The public the size of the public service has increased over the, the time that the, the Trudeau government has been in, in office quite significantly, but so has the the amount and the value and the number of outsourced contracts too. I think it's for, it's increased by forty percent yeah. uh, over between twenty fifteen and and twenty twenty two. Gary, what do you think? Do you think the committee is the right place to look into this? I agree with Bob. I think that there are legitimate questions that can be asked about uh, the manner in which this procurement took place. Uh, I don't doubt that there are good reasons to engage in uh, contract services from time to time. And as you say, it's done by all provinces and and the federal government uh, in such manners. And I I think it's a legitimate it's a legitimate question to ask, uh, you know, how is government being run? I think that Good government should spend probably three quarters of their time or more developing, thinking about, uh, testing good public policy and executing the same, and maybe 20 or 25 percent of their time doing the retail marketing of it. It seems to me that this government is more focused on the retail uh, of what they're going to do without really thinking about how they're going to do it. I look at, for example, you know, their um, their work on dental care. I happen to agree that that's a good public policy outcome to have, that children, uh, you know, should have uh, proper dental care. But the manner in which it's been done is relatively shambolic. And I think that there are, uh, as has been suggested, uh, the need for outside consultants from time to time. But it should be done at the front end to figure out how do we do this as opposed to um, saying what you're going to do and then trying to figure it out uh, afterwards by hiring a contractor. Do you think, Melanie, that there's going to be some altruistic thing that comes out of this committee? I ask because everybody's already got their positions, right? Like I was interviewing the MPs. They've decided this is, you know, really does not, it, it's not good. It's uh, the prime minister lining the pockets of his friends. Like they've already come to those conclusions. Do you think the study will actually be conducted in earnest? So I think that needs to be the goal. And I think we're going to see that it may not actually be the goal. I think the role of this investigation is to get answers for Canadians. And it would be a good reminder for those MPs sitting at the committee that that is the goal. I think we're likely going to see the Conservatives make a lot of noise out of it. And some of those that some of that noise is is rightly deserved. Looking into this, um, people want us to look into this, but I think it'll be important for it to be reasonable. Um, and then it'll also be important for the government to reasonably provide that information in a timely manner. I think what 
an important role that the NDP can play and can continue to play like they have at other committees is kind of being the adult in the room. But they're and, pretty supercharged on this too, <laughs> to be fair. Like totally. I was reading the release and it was like, he's lining, you know, right. taxpayer money, right. lining the pockets, right? right? Like it's not as tempered as in well, other instances. Well, as, as the workers party, you know, we, we do believe that our public service does really good work and should continue to be able to do that good work. Uh, not to say that, that consultants can't come in to, to help advise that work, uh, but, but that'll definitely be the angle that they take for um, where exactly we look to see if this money is actually being spent in a way that is giving Canadians a good return. I got 30 seconds, Bob. Do you think this committee is the real deal or will it be a lot of posturing back and forth? Like, do you think the government's going to turn over the stuff that they need to turn over? Well, we've had a bad record with them turning over. It, the committees have to pull, pull, pull uh, on the, uh, the RiveCan app, for example. Um, but uh, yes, I, I don't care. Uh, I mean, there will be a lot of hot air, but the more transparency, the more light that shine that is shown on this, the better it is for the public. And that's why minority governments work better, better, because if there was a majority liberal government, we wouldn't have any committee hearings into this. Well, good news for you. Jagmeet Singh said last night on this show that there's not going to be an election right now. So, <laughs> OK, I'm going to take a quick break here on Power Play on the other end of that break. The front bench is back and we're, we're going to rather dig into some new polling numbers that show the Conservatives with a seven-point lead over the Liberals. Stay with us. Back in just a moment. Welcome back to Power Play. Brand new polling from Nanos Research shows the Tories gaining ground nationally. The Conservatives have a seven-point lead. I think we're going to pull it up on the screen ahead of you there in a second. Over the governing Liberals, 35.6% to 28.3%. You can see it there. The NDP uh, behind them with a 20.7%. Uh, uh, among those surveyed. But when it comes to the choice of preferred prime minister, we'll bring up that those numbers as well. Justin Trudeau still coming out on top of Pierre Polyev, though by uh, a lighter margin, 30% to 27.5%. And then Jagmeet Singh uh, coming in nearly 11 points behind Mr. Polyev at 16.2%. The front bench is here to try and unpack some of those numbers. Carlene Varian, Gary Marr, Melanie Richet, and Bob Fife, Gary, I'm going to start with you. What's your, I mean, I, I've been told many times by many people, the only poll that matters is on election day. But at this point in time, it does measure some sentiment across the country. What's, what's your view of it? Well, the second point that I would quote, uh, I'm here in your Winnipeg studio and as former Premier Gary Dewar would say, you don't ever want to peak too soon. And so this may be an interim <laughs> report card on, on, the, uh, on the Trudeau government, but if we were to take Mr. Singh at his word, and I have no reason not to, uh, it could be a long time before we get our next election. I think that all governments have a certain lifespan, and there is a certain exhaustion that happens. Uh, this is a cycle that is repeated time and time again, and uh, maybe there's a bit of exhaustion uh, with the Trudeau government at this point in its mandate. Um, I think that, uh, you know, I hear even among liberals that there's a uh, interest in renewing their party. What that looks like, what that means, uh, remains to be seen. But uh, I wouldn't be uh, saying that this is um, earth-shattering in terms of a breakthrough for the Conservative Party yet. Uh, lots of time uh, is uh, remains on the clock before we get to, as you say, Vashi, uh, the only poll that matters, which is Election Day. <laughs> I, I don't necessarily, I've just been told by a lot of people and a, a lot of politicians when I ask them about them. Uh, Carlina, I'll just jump off what Gary said and ask you before we delve into some of the regional aspects mm. of this. 
Overall, do you think there is a bit of malaise uh, with the current government, given the amount of time it's been in office? And is this a reflection of that? Well, I think that, uh, you know, there's certainly an understanding that that after this many years in government, that there's going to be a, a little bit of weariness um, from the public of, of what they're seeing and receiving. Um, but I'm, I don't think that the liberals are looking at those numbers and necessarily kind of quaking in their boots just yet. Um, if I were, uh, if I were Pierre Polyev, I wouldn't necessarily be handing out gold stars to my team yet looking at these numbers. I think he's got a long way that he needs to grow before those kind of numbers would actually make themselves out to materialize in terms of a minority or a majority government for the Conservatives. Um, and uh, and so, yeah, if I'm the Liberals, I mean, I think they do need to, to focus a bit on getting back to the basics, remembering what it was that catapulted them to that majority government in 2015, this idea that there is a positive role for government to play in this country and in our society and that, you know, we should be helping out the vulnerable, maybe at the expense of the richest folks. Um, getting back to those basics and remembering what they're here to do, um, I think will serve them well in sort of regaining some of that ground that they might be losing right now in between elections. Melanie, what do you think about that? And what do you think are the numbers a reflection of less of a reflection of, you know, enthusiasm for the conservatives and more a reflection of kind of malaise, as I said, or kind of weariness, as, as Carlene said, of the, of the current government? Right. I'll go back to your point earlier about uh, the only poll that matters is on election day. We always say polls go up, polls go down. Um, but we do pay attention to kind of themes in, in polls. And what we're seeing is that while the conservative brand is going up, Kapaliev's numbers aren't. So if I was the conservatives, I would really be paying attention to that. And I'd be paying attention to why is that? because that'll be a big one leading into election day. Um, same thing for the Liberals. How does that match up party brand versus um, party leader? What I found interesting was looking at the universe. Um, as New Democrats, we always look at what the universe looks like and who exactly you can speak to or how many people you can speak to. And what I found interesting about the Conservatives is while they're polling at about 36%, um, their universe is only at 38 so they don't really have a lot of room to grow there. And in layman's um, terms, what do you mean by universe? Universe is people who are who are undecided, who are maybe looking at you. So so only thirty eight percent of people who are talked to um, are are interested in in what Pyotr has to say. So that's not a lot of room to grow, really, of that undecided vote. Whereas what I found interesting is the liberal universe is quite large and the NDP universe is quite large, which is not a, a usual thing for New Democrats. So I, if I was a new Democrat strategist, I would be looking at that number and that would give me a little bit of hope. So when we talk about the universe, let's break it down to uh, the provinces that, that probably feed into where those available voters are. And, and likely, Bob, they're in Ontario and they're in Quebec because we know that the conservative base, for example, is very strong, um, largely in Saskatchewan and Alberta, but to a certain extent in Manitoba and even to a degree well, in well, BC. You're right, because the national polls... Uh, will include uh, Alberta and Saskatchewan, where the Tories' numbers are really, really high and the other ones are not. But I spoke to a, a senior conservative from Ontario yesterday who they do their own polling and they do their polling on uh, uh, Pierre Polyev, which they can share with, um, with the conser federal conservatives. And uh, th this uh, source was saying it's really, really bad for Polyev right now, particularly amongst women and young professionals. And when you see Pierre Polyev go out and defend uh, Jordan Peterson, who is not particularly well liked by women, uh, you know, they scr you scratch your head like, what are you doing? Uh, you've already got these people. You've got to get women voters and you've got to get young professionals. So he's in trouble in Ontario and he, we already know he's in trouble in Quebec. 
So if an election were held now, um, he wouldn't do uh, very well because you've got to, Ontario and Quebec decide election campaigns. But as you said, uh, Mr. Singh is going to keep the government propped up for a while, so that's not a problem. <laughs> He's got but, some time. But Mr. Trudeau should be worried too. Pierre Polyev really isn't that well known yet, even though he's been on Parliament Hill for a long time. But he's only scoring like three points behind uh, Justin Trudeau. And, you know, the track record for people who have been prime ministers up to nine years, they usually lose. So it's, you know, the, the, the chances are... Uh, it's, not, it's an uphill battle. It's an to uphill run again. battle yeah. for Mr. Trudeau. And it could, in a few years' time, depending on if Mr. Polyev learns the lessons and <clears throat> starts to reach out to women voters and, and young professionals, for example, uh, you know, he could, he could win. It's, it's, Carlene wants to jump in. But, but you know, Bob, I mean, the, the man's been in the leader's seat now for six months already, and this is where things are at. I mean, I. I'm not holding my breath. I don't think you get any points for boosting your support in Saskatchewan or Alberta when you're the leader of the Conservative Party. When you're making gains in the greater Toronto area or your numbers are suddenly going up in Quebec, then I'm listing. Until then, I really don't see that there's much to see here. Gary, I think I have about 30 seconds. I'll give you the last word. Well, the last word that I'd have would be uh, uh, perhaps uh, the words of Wayne Gretzky, who was once asked, when is the right time to retire? And, and his answer was, you should retire at a time when people would say, you know what, he could have gone another season. And I, I think that the Prime Minister uh, needs to look at his numbers compared to Pierre Polyev's and wonder whether or not uh, he could win another election um, if he thinks that the answer is no. I mean, there have been lots of examples of politicians, provincially and federally, who have gone one too many elections and, uh, and found themselves leaving not as a winner but as a loser. I, 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 I don't know what to say about those ominous sirens in the background, but I guess that's where I have to leave it. Gary Marr, Bob Five, Carlene Varian, and Melanie Riche. thanks very much to our front bench. Today's takeaway, you heard it here on the program. Anthony Housefather, a Liberal MP, sitting on the committee that will investigate the McKinsey and Company contracts awarded by the federal government, says he's open to the possibility there could be an issue. Have a listen. I think that you have to put it into context as to what the needs are, but I agree. The reason that myself and the other Liberal members on the committee agree to this type of study is because we do think it's important to make sure Canadians get the best value. And if we are overusing consultants, we should know about that and the committee should make recommendations that the government should take stock of. And so we're always going to look at how to get the best value for the money. And if part of that is reducing the number of consultants we have and the amounts we pay them, that's an important uh, policy question we need to consider. That committee will resume when the House comes back in about a week and a half's time, and they will investigate uh, the contracts awarded to McKinsey and Company from the federal government. They, uh, the value of those contracts is 101, I believe, 0.4 million dollars. The opposition says where there's smoke, there's fire. The government contends, as you heard there from Anthony House father, that they are open to that investigation, and it will take place, as I said, in about, or start taking place in about a week and a half's time. That does it for us tonight on Power Play. I'll hand things over to my colleague, Morella Fernandez. Have a great night, and we'll see you tomorrow.